Lexicon Valley is brought to you by Blue Apron. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers right to your door everything you need to create a home-cooked meal. Farm-fresh ingredients are perfectly portioned and come with an easy-to-follow recipe card, so you can create a delicious dinner in 40 minutes or less. Visit blueapron.com lexicon to get your first two meals free. And by Headspace. If you've ever been curious about meditation, then go to headspace.com lexicon and try the Take 10 program. It's guided meditation for 10 days, 10 minutes a day, absolutely free. Give it a try at headspace.com slash lexicon. From Washington, D.C., this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm Bob Garfield with Mike Volo, and today, episode number 83, a new installment of Linguafile, wherein we discuss a mystery word or phrase with lexicographer Ben Zimmer. Hey, Mikey. Hey, Bobby. How you doing, buddy? Splendid. Thank you. And your own self? I'm great. I'm great. Ben, how are you? And what is our clue? I'm doing just fine. We have a clue today for a two-word phrase. Two-word phrase. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> just going to repeat everything you say. Whatever helps. Like Ed McMahon. <laughs> a two-word phrase. <laughs> that's what the man said. hi So a two-word phrase. Yes, a two-word phrase, and the phrase refers to a colorful animal that may lead you astray. A red herring. There you go. That is correct. This uh, suggestion comes to us from listener Lise Reba, so thank you, Lise, for the suggestion. It's a good one. I like that phrase. I use it not infrequently in my own life. You're familiar with red herrings? You have a lot of red herrings in your life? (laughs) Well, I'm not sure that I have a lot in my life. It's just that phrase has a very useful purpose, and it comes in handy sometimes. Bob, how would you define a red herring? A red herring is something that seems significant, but in fact is a distraction. And the more you pay attention to the path of the herring, the farther you go from the destination of your uh, investigation. Yeah, a red herring is kind of like a cousin to a wild goose chase. Yeah, it's a false clue. Yeah. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Another diversion. He gives us meaningless clues to confuse us, dangles red herrings before our eyes, bedazzles us with bizarre banalities, while all the time precious seconds are ticking away towards a truly terrible murder still to come. This all has nothing to do with my disappearing nuclear physicist husband or Colonel Mustard's work with the new top-secret fusion bomb. <laughs> no. Communism was just a red herring. Okay, so any guesses how a red herring actually figures into that expression? How do we end up following the trail of a red herring? First of all, is this herring pickled? Is it pickled? Well... Is it in sour cream sauce? Are there (laughs) onions involved? (laughs) Who would be following a herring anyway? It just doesn't sound like good fundamental detective work. Okay, well, let's first talk about the herring and how it gets red. Herrings aren't normally red, but they can turn red if you uh, dry them and smoke them. You might be familiar with kippers. You know, Mm -hmm. kippers are herrings that have gone through this process to preserve them of drying and smoking them. If you smoke them for a long time, up to, you know, a week or two, then they turn this reddish-brown color. And they also stink. But it was good to do this for herring because that meant that you would have herring that would keep for a very long time. In fact, you could even take, you know, a barrel of this 
smoked herring. Oh, please don't say aboard a ship for a voyage. You sure could. Please don't make this maritime. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. You're going to make this maritime, aren't you? (laughs) As you have a want to do. So... We have the the red herring, which was useful on those ocean voyages. Maybe with your grog, uh, you could have some herring. Of course, it wouldn't be edible if you had it in a barrel. You would have to take out the herring and soak it and soften it and you know heat it up, and then you would actually have something maybe barely edible. Sounds good to me. I'm I'm a big fan of fish and stinky fish. At that, I like the mackerel sushi. Whereas other people pass on that, I'm I'm happy to be aboard this ship. That's the saba, the mackerel uh, in brine that our Japanese neighbors call saba. I just want to point out how unbelievably multilingual I am when it comes to mackerel-based foodstuffs. So that's how the herring gets red, and that's how it gets aboard a ship. But on land, you could use that herring for other things. The story goes, and it's a story we'll pick apart a little bit, but the story goes that the metaphor of the red herring goes back to bygone days where fox hunting was a popular pastime, and you could somehow confuse the hounds who were trying to uh, follow the game by use of a red herring, that dragging this stinky red herring across the trail of, you know, a hare or a fox would mean that the hounds that were chasing this game animal would get confused and they wouldn't know where to go. Wait, 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 wait. So was this like a dirty trick deployed by people in hot pursuit of the fox to take their fellow pursuers off the trail and their dogs? Or was it just to make the hunt more challenging for everybody? Well, that's a good question, and we'll try to figure that out. I mean, there's a lot of sort of speculation about exactly how a red herring might figure into this, but lately we've actually gotten some good historical evidence to explain how the practice of using a red herring in a fox hunt might have developed and then how the metaphor came later. But there's a lot of stories about it. You know, if you look in different reference books, they'll tell you different things. For instance, there's the Facts on File Encyclopedia of Word and Phrase Origins that will say, escaping criminals in the 17th century would drag strong-smelling red herring across a trail to make pursuing bloodhounds lose the scent, which is a very colorful idea. I think on that show Mythbusters, they actually tried that out, and uh, it didn't work too well. Uh, You could confuse a bloodhound for a little bit, but ultimately the hound would be able to pick up the scent again. Okay, let's take a short break. Lexicon Valley is brought to you by Blue Apron. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron will deliver all the ingredients you need to create a home-cooked meal. I'd like to talk about pesto for a moment. I'm a a long-time maker of homemade pesto. It's one of my favorite condiments and really simple to make in a food processor. In the beginning, I only made traditional basil pesto, the classic. But then I started making cilantro pesto. That's right, pesto made entirely from cilantro, and it's delicious, provided, of course, you like cilantro. But lately, I've switched almost entirely to arugula pesto, totally out of this world. So imagine my surprise when I saw on this week's Blue Apron menu pizza with ricotta cheese, asparagus, and arugula pesto. As always, every meal from Blue Apron is between 500 and 700 calories per portion, and right now you can get your first two meals for free at blueapron.com lexicon. Do yourself a favor and try the pizza 
with arugula pesto. You may never go back to basil pesto. That's blueapron.com slash lexicon. Okay, back to the tale of the red herring. So there's a lot of stories about this uh, to try to explain where this expression red herring came from. And, you know, most reference books were just not very helpful. They were just left this kind of perplexing explanation, including the Oxford English Dictionary for a very long time, just said that in the 19th century, this expression to draw a red herring across the track developed, meaning to attempt to divert attention from the real question. And it pointed back to a quotation from a book from the late 17th century, a book about hunting, which explained the trailing or dragging of a dead cat or fox, and in case of necessity, a red herring, three or four miles, and then laying the dogs on the scent. That, without any further context, is very confusing. It's like, what exactly is going on here? Why would you want to trail or drag some dead animal? Or if you don't have a dead animal, use a red herring. It all seems very confusing without any context. You mean this book from the late 17th century did not provide the context in which one would do this? It was just explaining the phrase sort of in a vacuum? Well, how it was quoted in the Oxford English Dictionary didn't provide context, but scholars have gone back to those primary sources now to try to find some illumination to figure out exactly what was going on. There is a journal called Comments on Etymology, which is published by Gerald Cohen of the Missouri University of Science and Technology. In 2000, Professor Cohen went back to look at that original document and found that it wasn't intended to be something that was for training the hounds, but it was actually part of the process of training horses for a fox hunt. So what is described in that 17th century guide to hunting is a way to get the horses up to speed, basically, for the fox hunting season. Ah, so in absence of actual foxes yes. to train the horses, they use a red herring to get the dogs all excited, and then the horses can be prepared for the season of fox chase. Exactly. It's like spring training. Right. So this is what you do. Again, yeah, if you don't have fox or some other game for them to follow, then you can set up what's called a train scent. It's also called a drag. So the red herring was a fox substitute. Yeah, that's how it's described in those 17th century documents. But it's still confusing because that doesn't really seem to square very well with our current understanding of a red herring, which is supposed to be a distraction. If you're imagining this train scent, that's exactly what they're supposed to be following. There's no idea that they're supposed to be going some other way. This is actually where you want them to go. So how would you develop this meaning of being waylaid or distracted off of your correct path? Well, it seems to me that it's not too far of a leap from using the red herring as a training substitute to it being ultimately not the thing that you want the hound to chase, Mm -hmm. that being the fox, of course. And so that nuance, that shade is very close to where we want to be. And I can see some mischievous fox hunter trying to sabotage his fellow fox chasers by bringing along some red herring so that he can, Mm -hmm. and his pack of dogs, locate their quarry. See what I'm saying? Right. Okay. I think Bob is on to something. He may have uh, sniffed out a good trail here. Oh, I see. (laughs) You see, I see what you did there. All of these ideas were brought together 
in another article that appeared in Comments on Etymology by Robert Scott Ross in 2008. So he looks at uh, the person who is probably most responsible for us taking up this red herring metaphor, and it was a fellow named William Cobbett in the early 19th century. And he was a very controversial figure who was always railing against political corruption. He was always uh, escaping some libel suit. So in 1807, that was during the Napoleonic Wars, Cobbett had noticed how the various newspapers of the day were following a false story from the continent, which claimed that Napoleon was uh, losing to the Russians and maybe Napoleon had actually been killed. And there were all these rumors going on about some big defeat that the French had suffered. Turned out it was all wrong. It was all sort of based on a spurious story. And so he relates what is happening to the London newspapers of the time to his memories of growing up. And he was the son of a farmer. He had this very sort of bucolic background and upbringing, which he would often talk about. And so he tells this story about what happened when he was a boy. He says, when I was a boy, we used in order to draw off the harriers from the trail of a hare that we had set down as our own private property, get to her haunt early in the morning and drag a red herring tied to a string four or five miles till we got to a point whence we were pretty sure that the hunters would not return to the spot where they had thrown off. So he was making a comparison between the newspaper men of the day, easily deceived by this false story about Napoleon and his defeat, just like those hounds could be easily distracted by the trail of a red herring. So it seems that Cobbett, while he did not, of course, invent the practice of using a red herring for the purpose of distracting hounds, he may have been responsible for taking that practice out of its literal use and turning it into something more figurative. We can say that Cobbett is primarily responsible for this move from the literal to the figurative, um, but Cobbett was known to tell stories that were perhaps not completely true. In fact, Robert Scott Ross basically says, I think Cobbett just made this story up and that this was not some sort of practice that you would do to distract a hound. Wait, wait, wait. So you're saying in order to create the metaphor, the allegation is that Cobbett invented a practice that did not exist so that he could be uh, more literary? That <laughs> makes no sense whatsoever. Well, what Robert Scott Ross says is, um, and I'm quoting from his uh, 2008 article, someone has played a marvelous joke on the English language, convincing early English lexicographers to accept a false etymology of red herring, effectively defining the idiom by example. And so basically, he's saying that this was just a kind of a joke that Cobbett was playing, and the story he's telling about the red herring is itself a red herring this uh, elaborate prank and that it was successful because lexicographer has accepted this story. That almost seems too pat, the idea that the forming of the metaphor of the red herring is itself a red herring. Yeah, that's pretty meta. I'm having a hard time believing that. <laughs> and so highly unlikely. All right, Ben, as usual, you're holding back on us. So let's have it. Come on. How does this play out? Okay, before we get to the exciting denouement, Lexicon Valley is brought to you this week by Headspace. Last year, there was a headline in The Onion, the satirical newspaper The Onion. It read, Annoying, well-adjusted friend, even meditating now. 
you know, the secret is it's not that well-adjusted people necessarily meditate or are drawn to meditation. It's that meditation helps you become well-adjusted. It's such a great way to start the day. And for many people, myself included, a way to reduce stress and anxiety throughout the day. So if you've ever wanted to try meditation, try the Take 10 program on Headspace. It's guided meditation for 10 days, just 10 minutes a day, and you can do this online or on your phone or on your iPad on the Headspace app, and it is at no cost whatsoever when you sign up at headspace.com lexicon. You have absolutely nothing to lose. This is meditation made simple at headspace.com lexicon. Back to Ben and Red Herring. Well, I think we get a more satisfying explanation in more recent research from Comments on Etymology from yet another word researcher named Daniel Billen. He builds on what Gerald Cohen and Robert Scott Ross had figured out already, and he adds a lot of very interesting historical information about how these red herrings were actually used. So we've talked already about the practice of actually letting the hounds chase the scent trail, which you would do by dragging a smoked fish, and that you would do that intentionally as a way of training your horses. But what Billen found was that the thing that Cobbett was alluding to really did happen, that there really were these sabotages of fox hunts where you would have the fox or the hare following this red herring scent in order to get them to not follow the game that they're supposed to be following. There are actual historical examples for both of these practices. And what Billen further found was that these two different ways of using red herring and a fox hunt seem to develop their own kind of metaphorical extensions. So we have one idea very early on. He's found examples all the way back to 1682, where you could talk about red herring as being a kind of false information. If you embrace a false story, that would be sort of like the fact that you're following a trail that's not really true. But then we have the more modern sense, something that's used to divert attention from the real issue. And he sees that as being based on this kind of idea of hunt sabotage that Cobbett was talking about. But it didn't actually start with Cobbett. He was just the most famous one who sort of brought this metaphor into the language. But people were making this kind of connection all the way back, Daniel Billen has found, to 1712, where this red herring metaphor gets used by someone, again, a century before Cobbett was writing, another sort of London political pamphleteer who was making his own diatribe against politicians who, he said, were steering England toward a Dutch model of government. And his name was William Oldesworth. He wrote in 1712 in his own pamphlet called The Examiner, And he says, thus it was craftily brought about that so many gallant couple of hounds who might have spent their tongues and heels in a more substantial chase were unaccountably diverted and made to dance all day after the stinking trail of a Dutch herring. Holy moly. So it doesn't say a red herring. Ben, Ben, this is like too good to be true. Talk about meta. So what you're saying is that the whole question of whether this guy Cobbett invented a fake use of red herrings in order to create a metaphor for red herring is itself a red herring. It's like a meta, meta red herring. (laughs) It is by one order of magnitude more meta than it was 
two minutes ago. It's just a red herring upon a red herring upon a red herring. But I think we're actually not being distracted and we're actually on the right trail here. I think that this most recent research really points to what's happening. And this example from 1712 is kind of wonderful because it's talking about, again, these uh, English politicians who were following a Dutch model of government and it's talking about them following a stinking trail of a Dutch herring. You know, I'm sure then as now the Dutch were associated with herring and so it made it even more pointed that you could, you know, use this particular figure of speech in order to say how politicians get distracted, in this case, a Dutch herring. And later we get the more regular idiom, the red herring, thanks largely to Cobbett and people picking that up from reading the way that he was using the term. Well, as the coroner of Lake County, Indiana, once told me while discussing a perplexing case of a man who had committed suicide by 32 claw hammer blows to the back of the head, this case stinks from fish. <laughs> it, there's something definitely fishy about it, that's for sure. Wait a minute. What about the briefcase? What about the golf clubs? Oh. Well, they were Mrs. Allen's. You see, Jane Plenderleith had to convince us that her friend was right-handed if we were to believe she had been murdered. But the golf clubs? They were the left-handed. Of course. And when she opened the cupboard, she tried to focus our attention on the wrong object. So she used the briefcase as a, what is it, a blotter, keeper? Red herring. Absolutely. And now, my friends, it is time for me to take you to lunch. Please write to us at lexiconvalley at slate.com. That's lexiconvalley at slate.com. Follow us on Twitter at lexiconvalley and subscribe to our feed in the iTunes store. You can read more about the expression red herring on Ben's Word Roots column on vocabulary.com, where he is the executive editor. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. All right, guys, we done here? Yeah, I think we're done. Next week, mauve locks. Later, gators. <laughs>